Well, thanks be to God that he is gracious. And in his grace, God found it wise to leave with us his word. How wonderful is the word of God. And in the New Testament, we find the four gospel accounts. Four different accounts, though similar, of the story of the life of Jesus. That you and I can go to the stories of Jesus to learn how it is that we should live. Who it is that we follow. And not a page goes by of the Gospels that you don't find Jesus doing something amazing. Something incredible. Whether it's his teaching. He taught like nobody else taught. Whether it's his miracles or his healings. No matter what you do, when you go to the Gospels, you find a story of Jesus doing something incredible. So much so that you and I might say, I can't believe it. You might have been watching a football game last night, and there would have been that one play that you go, I can't believe it, what my eyes just saw. And we carry that language sometimes into the Gospels, and we go, man, I can't believe what Jesus does and can do. And sometimes I wonder, though, if that carries into our life. And other people see us, and they go, no, we believe you. We don't think you do believe it. We hear what you say, but we see your life, and we wonder if you believe it. And today, we're going to look at a text in John chapter 6 of Jesus asking us to believe and calling us to follow. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to John chapter 6. We want to welcome you here to Cross Point. My name is Cale Courtright. I'm the spiritual formation minister. And as we talked about earlier, it is an exciting time that we, from start to finish, have been joining in the mission of God to take this food um, to those who don't have food. Uh, we wanted to not only to raise the money, but to gather it and to take it and put it on the table of those who don't, uh, maybe don't have as much as you or I do. And so thank you for joining in the mission of God, being the hands and feet of Jesus, taking this to those. And I will say, remember to pick up these bags if you signed up, because your name is on them. So we know who does and doesn't pick up their bag. So make sure that you are one that picks it up. Um, again, thank you for taking part in that. I wanted to just tell you a little bit about myself. Um, the last three weeks, our lives have been a little bit crazy. For those of you who know, we welcomed um, Carson Dean to our family. He's the little one. Um, He's three weeks old today, and those are his brothers, Stephen and Jackson. And Jackson's the one kind of on the top, and he's going to play a role later in the sermon, so kind of keep him in mind. But that's what our life looks like right now, as we have a newborn and all the fun and the um, tired that that brings and all of those good things. And so I've been made assurances that I am not held accountable for anything I say today. So that's uh, what it took to get me here No. Um, but thank you uh, for being here again. That's a little bit about, um, about my life. But in John chapter 6, we find a story of Jesus that we've actually talked about recently. Recently we did a series on giving, and Tim used this passage, and he called it Lunchbox. And in the story of John chapter 6, you have the feeding of the 5,000. And at the beginning, um, John wants you to know the time period. It's an important detail for him. He says it was near Passover. 
And if you remember the Passover event, kind of keep that in mind. That's from the book of Exodus. And he wants you to know that. But in this story, we have essentially Jesus' teaching these thousands and thousands of people, but it gets time that it, uh, it's time for lunch. And they look around and they realize that they don't have enough to feed everyone. You know, nobody um, ordered the food trucks, I guess. There wasn't anywhere to drive through. And somebody says, yo, Jesus, what are we going to feed these people? Um, and so essentially, because of the hospitality and the generosity of a young boy who says, I have my lunch, I've got five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus is able to do something incredible with that. And no matter what it is, when Jesus gets involved, something amazing is going to happen. And so Jesus gives thanks for this bread. He breaks it, and he shares with all the people. And it says there's some left over. Which is, I don't know about you, if you were raised in church like I was, if you've read this story multiple times, you read over that, uh, maybe without thinking, 5,000 people is a lot of people. It may have been more. And we just read it like, yeah, he fed 5,000 people. I mean, what could fit in this bag fed 5,000 people? Imagine, put yourself there for a moment. If you've been listening to this man teach, and you don't know for sure if you should buy into everything he says. He teaches in a very eloquent way. You like the message he's giving, but you're not sure who he is. And now you just start to see this bread just multiply in front of your eyes. That it's seemingly Jesus breaks this bread in half and gives, but now it's whole again. There's more bread where that came from. Imagine still if you were in the back, and you knew it was lunchtime, and you could tell that, you know, there's not 5,000 people worth of food anywhere, but somehow you have a plate. You're being fed. Imagine what that would be like. That would be incredible. Now, you know there was somebody there. There was that one guy who was like, fish. It's always fish. <laughs> and his friend said, yeah, my, br- my mom makes bread better than this, but, you know. Uh, this is an incredible miracle that if we aren't careful, we will rush right over it. And many of us will take part in something similar this week. You will go and join your friends and your family for Thanksgiving. And if you're like me, it's like the food just seems to multiply, Now, I know for my mom and for my grandma that that's not the case. But for me, it just multiplies. I don't know where it comes from. I I don't know how it got here. Um, And I don't know about you if you have any family traditions you like to take part in. Maybe you'll throw the football in the backyard in the morning. Um, You'll eat some great food. You might eat too much, which might lead to your afternoon nap. I don't know about you, but I still sit at what they call the kid table, which is now a bunch of 30-something cousins, you know. And at the adult table sit our parents and grandparents. We'll watch the Cowboys win, though I have some doubts. <sighs> Please, Lord. Um, no. But, and we'll have a good time together. And I don't know about you, there, but there might be that one food item that you really look forward to. Um, those few things that you know are going to be there and you're so excited about. Uh, maybe your grandma makes a dessert that you just love. Uh, maybe your uncle um, smokes the turkey in just such an amazing way you look forward to it all year. Maybe you have an aunt or a cousin, someone who makes stuffing in a way that you just can't wait. I don't know what it is for you, but I know what it will be at my house. My aunt makes these homemade rolls that just uh, melt in your mouth. 
have started multiple fights. They are that legendary. And, though I'm not sure who owns this record, we're fairly confident that the record is about six rolls at one meal. They're that good. But you know, in John chapter 6, when Jesus makes bread, whatever he's involved in is going to be the best. Nothing is like Jesus does. So Jesus gives thanks, and he feeds people, And he feeds everybody, but not just so that there's just enough. He doesn't hit the number right on the mark. It says, the text tells us that there is food left over. And so what starts fills one basket. At the end, this little boy, I imagine he's standing there, and now there are 12 baskets left over. Everybody has eaten all that they can eat, and there are 12 baskets left over. And this is an amazing thing, and the crowd understands that they have witnessed something incredible. They have witnessed a miracle. And in John chapter 6, this is what it says, starting in verse 14. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. What we know for sure is that Jesus cares about feeding people. That these people were hungry and Jesus wanted to feed him. But what we also know is that something else is going on here. There is another layer to this story. The people understand that. They call it a miraculous sign. But what they assume about Jesus is not what Jesus wants you to know about him. See, they call this a sign, and rightfully so. But I want you to think about what a sign does. So this week, you might be on the way to grandma's house, to a family member's house, And it may be somewhere you don't exactly know where you're going, so you will follow the signs, right? You know my exit is coming up in two miles and five miles, whatever it is. You'll follow the street signs. But signs in and of themselves, they do two things. One, they convey information. They tell you something you need to know. And two, they point you to something else. A sign's purpose is never to just lead to itself. And so in this text, you know that this is a sign that Jesus has offered, But the sign is not the purpose. It is what information it conveys and who it points to. And that's what we need to know. And so Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And and the text tells us that that night he leaves. And it tells us he leaves by walking across a lake. But that is another story for another sermon. Another miraculous sign. All the crowd knows that they wake up and Jesus is no longer there. So in verse 22 of John 6, it says this. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw the disciples had taken the only boat. And they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. And so these people well-fed, they go to sleep, and they wake up, and they start looking around for Jesus. Where is Jesus? And on the surface, this is a great thing for people, right? We want more and more people to be looking for Jesus. That's why we're here. We are here for those who are looking for Jesus. But Jesus is going to ask another question. Why are you looking for me? He knows people are searching for him, but his question is, why are you? they looking for me? He wants to know what the motivation is that people are seeking him out. This is a good thing that people are seeking him. However, we need to know the why. And so, Jesus, because he knows, 
everything. He knows the reason. Verse 25, they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Which is not the question that Jesus is going to answer. Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life the Son of Man can give you. As I said, Jesus wants to feed people, but what he wants to offer them is not the meal they're looking for. And I don't know about you, but this is a good point in time to ask yourself the same question. Why are you looking for Jesus? What is the purpose to which you seek him out? So you can look for Jesus for a lot of reasons, but he wants you to look for some very specific reasons. Dallas Willard um, kind of coined a phrase about this. He called them vampire Christians. And he said, a vampire Christian, in effect, says to Jesus, I'd like a little bit of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or to have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life, and I'll see you in heaven. So how many of us could at times put ourselves in the same place? Now, we know we need the blood of Christ. We just celebrated that in communion. It is of utmost importance. But does it stay there? Is that all why we want Jesus? Yeah, Jesus will let you save us, but join you in living the way you called us to? I don't know about that. Where might you be today? A vampire Christian or more? Because in this text, what Jesus is going to ask us is to give everything and to follow him wholeheartedly. So the question we ask ourselves is, why are we looking for Jesus? Because this crowd, they're looking for Jesus, which is good, which is the first step. They're looking to get fed, and Jesus is looking to feed them. But he's not looking to give them the physical food that they are looking for. In verse 30, they, this is how the conversation goes. The crowd says, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. So they're looking to be fed, and they can kind of sense some resistance from Jesus, that he doesn't want to just be um, their vending machine. He wants to be more than that. And so what do they do? They try to appeal to his pride. Well, show us what you can do, Jesus. Can you really do it? It's kind of like when I talk to my five-year-old, and I want him to, like, throw something in the trash, and I say, you can't do it. And what does he do? I'll show you, Dad. And he does it. Kids are so easy. Um, that is not true. But, <laughs> but that's exactly what they're doing to Jesus here, right? Show us a sign. If you're so great, if you want us to believe in you, we'll believe in you. Show us a sign. Feed us. They go as far as say, give us this bread every day. We'll follow you every day if you give us what we want every day. And Jesus is not going to be coerced like that. And so much so that I wonder if he's shaking his head as he's trying to communicate something to these people, and it just isn't working. It's kind of like when any parent talks to their toddler. And so I have a two-year-old named Jackson, and he's hit that phase in life that he is, uh, it's in a I can do it phase. Whatever it is, I can do it, just like my big brother. Whatever it is, I can do it by myself. And so 
Sometimes, you know, you don't have 15 minutes for him to buckle himself in his car seat. I don't know many parents that have an extra 15 minutes. Um, And so there we are. We're trying to get in the car, and I can do it. I can climb up there all by myself, and I can buckle this together, even though you as a parent are going, those buckles don't go together. How long do we have to sit here while you try to figure this out? And I wonder if Jesus is thinking the same thing. How long until you can finally get this? What more do you need to see? Jesus is trying to show them who he is. And you would think that feeding 5,000 of them would do it, but they keep missing the point. All because they want Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And so after multiple statements, Jesus will come out and say it. In verse 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. So Jesus makes this great statement declaring who he is. I am the bread of life. You're looking for life. You will only find it in me. But you, who have been witnessing all of this, won't believe. In the Gospel of John, Jesus will make seven of these I am statements. Seven of these metaphors that show us who he is. They in in and of themselves are kind of like a sign. They tell you a little bit more of who Jesus is. Two weeks ago, we talked about I am the vine. Today, I am the bread of life. These are truths about who Jesus is. But if you were a Jew listening in the audience, this statement would have rang a bell in your head because you would have heard something that you have heard before. When the book of Exodus in the Old Testament kicks off, we find the Israelite people are enslaved in Egypt. And it says, the text says that they cry out to God and that God hears them. And so God is going on a saving mission to save his people, to free them from captivity. And what God will do is he will call on a person named Moses to free them. And Moses gives a lot of excuses. He's at this burning bush talking to God, and he's giving a lot of excuses about why he can't do it. And one of the excuses he'll get there is he'll say, well, God, I don't even know your name. What do I say when I get there? And they ask, who sent me? Because back then, every god had a name. Baal, or Asherah, or Zeus. Gods had names. And so he wants to know, who are you, God? Who is it that I tell them that I was sent by? And God says, I am who I am. You tell them, I am sent you. And so then Jesus in John 6 steps into that role and he says, I am the bread of life. We've just fed 5,000 people. We've seen what it is to feed people. Jesus can take on that role, but he also tells us who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the one sent from God. He says, I am. John is making it very clear in his text who Jesus is. Over and over again, he says, I am. I am the bread of life. So Jesus feeds people. He feeds a lot of people bread. And just a few verses later, he says, I am the bread of life. Do you get it now? He's asking them. You were there, you were gathered, and all of you had more than enough to eat. More than enough that I filled 12 baskets left over. Do you get it? I am the bread of life. The people were asking for more bread to be fed again. And Jesus says, you will be fed always because I am the bread of life. 
So after, in Exodus, after Moses frees the people, he leads them out into the desert to wander. And they wander for 40 years before they come to the land of Israel. And they leave slavery only to go out into the desert. And what they complain to Moses is, you've led us out here to starve. That event, by the way, they, they get led from Egypt out to the desert through an event called the Passover. Remember, Jesus is doing this teaching at the Passover. And so they're wandering around in the desert. They've been freed only to starve, and God provides every single day. God provides with bread from heaven called manna. The God who freed you, God who saved you, will continue to save you. And this is how the text reads in verse 47. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Jesus is, at the time of the Passover, is having them think back to the Passover. I am the bread of life. And just as God sustained you in the desert, so I will sustain you forever. This is who our God is. Jesus is making the statement that he is our God. He is the one sent from heaven. And Jesus, when he makes the statement, it poses a question to you and I. See, the text will go on to say that people who heard this said, this is a difficult teaching. And when I first read it, when I was wrestling with this text, I thought, why is this difficult? Yeah, Jesus is the bread of life. Great. Because what Jesus is asking is, I'm not here just to fill your bellies. I'm here for everything. You either get Jesus and you get all of Jesus, or you get nothing. Jesus wants to know, are you all in or are you all out? And so the question may as well be posed to us because he does pose it to the 12. He says, will you go too? And Peter responds, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. When I first read this from Peter, I think it's a little bit of a kind of a downer response. Where else would we go? And it's almost like he's asking Jesus, like, should we go? I mean, where else, where else can we go? But I think when you read it in context, you read uh, Peter who is confident in his faith. This is one of the first confessions of Jesus as Messiah that we have in Scripture. So Peter says, where else would we go? We will, there is no one else. You are it. You are the Holy One of God. This is a significant confession of Christ. And because we know that when Jesus makes a statement like, I am the bread of life, we have to give a statement of faith. If we want to stay and follow We must respond with a statement of faith. And so the question that Jesus poses is the question for you and I. Will you follow or will you leave? There is no room in between. You get to follow or you leave. And so for those of us in here that say, that declare we want to follow Christ, what does this passage, what does this teaching mean for our life? To know that Jesus is the bread of life. That in him we will hunger or thirst no more. 
What does this lead our life to? Well, it is Thanksgiving week, and so I would, the first thing I would think is that this leads us to a life of gratitude. Some of you this week, as you gather around for Thanksgiving, may go around the table and do the thing, uh, what are you thankful for? And this is a great practice to focus your time not on just football and pie, but to focus on the things we're actually thankful for. But we're not living a life of gratitude if we're not thankful again for another year. No, we need to be the kind of people that live a life of gratitude. And I would argue that this week, our nation has two holidays. That on Thursday, we'll gather around and we will say, oh God, we're so thankful for all these things. And then that night or the next day, we'll turn around and it'll be the biggest shopping day of the year. We will show the world what we actually think about our stance in life. Now, I know a lot of you on Black Friday will do Christmas shopping. And I'm thankful that you give gifts to other people. But we know what our nation does on Black Friday, and it kind of leads us to know what kind of people we are. Are we the kind of people who are grateful and content, or always thinking, we want more? We want more. I don't, haven't traveled the whole world, but I don't know of another country that has as many storage units as this one. How much more? But this passage leads us to know and to say that Jesus is enough. That in Jesus, we have all that we need. And so I would challenge you to a practice of gratitude. Studies have shown, and and not church studies, but scientific studies have shown what a practice of gratitude will do for your life. You will be overall a healthier person if you practice gratitude. Mentally, emotionally, and even physically. Your stress will go down, your sleep will improve, your relationships will improve, your empathy for others will go way up. We need to practice gratitude daily. And what people who embark on these studies, what they have you, what they recommend is that every morning or every night, you jot down five or ten things you're, you're grateful for. It doesn't have to take long. This is less than a ten-minute project. But they call us to practice gratitude. And you might say, well, I'm thankful, and do I have to point it out every day? And I would say yes. Because when you focus on what you're grateful for every day, gratitude protects your heart from the disease of more, from being discontent with life. If you're always focused on that which you're thankful for, it guards against Satan tempting you to think all you need is more and more and more. It keeps us focused on Jesus. And the second thing that I would have us do is to do, is to do exactly what Jesus asked us to, to accept his invitation to follow him. Jesus is going to ask you this question because he asks his apostles, will you stay or will you go? Will you follow me or will you not? If you choose to follow Jesus, it might be the most difficult thing you embark on in your life. No one will lie to you and tell you that it will be easy. He, Jesus may call you to things that you're not comfortable with. He may call you to more than just uncomfort, but into actual sacrifice. He may ask that you join Crosspoint mission teams to Honduras or Kenya this summer. He may ask you to radically love those who are difficult to love. He may ask you to give more and more of yourself and of your possessions rather than 
asking for and gaining more and more. He may ask you to go next door and to know and to love your neighbor. I don't know what he will ask of you, but Jesus will ask you something that will challenge you. But know this, it will be worth it. There will be nothing better in life than joining Jesus and to follow him. Because we know that Jesus is the bread of life and that in him we hunger and thirst no more. We have eternal life because we know who Jesus is. So today I ask you, who and what are you hungering for? Who do you hunger for? We want to be the kind of people who hunger and thirst for Jesus because we know that in him we have life and have it to the full. As we close, I'm going to invite our praise team back to the stage. Maybe you're sitting in here today and you realize that you haven't even accepted a call to follow Jesus. Well, delay no longer. Follow him today. The baptistry is ready. The water is warm. And in baptism, you will give your life over to him. And it will be the best decision you've ever made. We want to be the kind of people who answer the call to follow him. Because we know that in him, he is the bread of life. We hunger and thirst no more. Our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. If you have any need for prayer, we ask that you go and join them. This is a prayerful congregation. Let's stand and sing.